Welcome to the Brookie and Berger podcast and uh, our very special guest today is uh, Mark Choco-Williams, legendary football player, coach, philosopher, anything else you like. But uh, before we talk to uh, Choco, welcome Darren Burgess who's in Adelaide. Welcome Brookie. Yes, uh, I'm in Adelaide home quarantining at the moment. So um, <laughs> looking forward to chatting with Choco. I worked with Choco over here for a few years, so we'll be able to share some stories. Uh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, um, welcome, Choco. It's uh, really, really appreciate your time. Um, I'm going to uh, very quickly run through a pretty amazing career. Um, Choco Mark Williams, um, son of the legendary uh, football coach Foss Williams, which we'll talk about a bit later on, comes from a very famous footballing family, uh, brothers, sister, everyone uh, is uh, elite sport. Played uh, AFL football for uh, Port Adelaide, over 100 games at Port Adelaide, came over to Victoria, uh, played for Collingwood uh, in his second season, I think, was appointed captain of Collingwood, and then uh, finished his career at uh, at the Brisbane Bears, as they were then. Um, then uh, coaching career, uh, which started uh, at Port Adelaide as an assistant, then the uh, the senior coach, coached 12 seasons at Port Adelaide, including the famous uh, 2004 Premiership. And uh, after that, has done an assistant coaching jobs at uh, the GWS uh, Giants in Sydney at Richmond. Uh, and then interestingly coached uh, in the amateur competition down here in uh, in Melbourne for the Ajax Club, uh, coached Werribee in the VFL, and for the past couple of years, has been at the the Melbourne Demons, who are obviously the uh, the uh, the reigning premiers. So, uh, how do I go, Choco? Do I summarise things pretty quickly? Uh, yeah, very close, close to correct. Close to correct. All right. Only at Melbourne, uh, almost to this day. Um, oh, I twelve months. Yeah, one one year. One year. So, that's what... right. Just and of course, uh, of course, that was uh, yeah the premiership year. No coincidence, of course. You and I were both uh, recruited uh, this year, and uh, you know we've won a premiership. There it is. <laughs> there it is. The answer. <laughs> All right, over to you, Burjo. No, thanks for coming on, Chuck. And and we could really turn this into a, a very long uh, episode. But what, what I'm uh, fascinated by is is your start and. You know, we, we probably don't have time to go in the full uh, details of, of your dad and, and uh, how influential he was in, in Australian football, and particularly South Australian football. But I'd love uh, you to talk about some of the things that he used to get you to do as a kid on game day uh, to, to help him out, which was just incredibly ahead of his time. Uh, if, you, if you could just share one or two of those stories. Yeah, yeah I, I need to give backstory really because he, he... – he left um, the country, comes from the country, left the country at 17 and went to war and didn't start playing footy until he was 24, really, in South Australia. So uh, uh, he was in the, in the Navy, went to Papua New Guinea, uh, you know, in, uh, in real action. And then uh, so to come back, uh, you know, the, the history then shows that uh, Port's won 36 premierships and 22 of those have been involved with uh, him and uh, myself and my brothers. So... And, you know, the success rate is unbelievable. He's also, I think he, he was in eight losing grand finals as well as winning nine. So uh, uh, it's quite remarkable, the uh, the winning percentage. And all of those things, uh, I, w- I was lucky enough to watch and, uh, and see him. Uh, you know, I can remember um, 
definitely from about 65 onwards where they won premierships as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, re I remember him getting us to uh, to track the midfielders' uh, running patterns where they get their uh, their kicks. And uh, we'd have graph paper, three of our, you know, my siblings, and we, we'd come in at half time and uh, he'd post them on the on the board so that the uh, the uh, uh, on-ballers could see, you know, where they where they were running. You know, that, that was just remarkable. You know, we're talking in the 70s, and uh, uh, that's obviously, you know, almost GPS. But instead of the GPS stuff, uh, he'd also uh, have the trainers take out red towels at the uh, at the time on period just to talk about, you know, this is a danger period or a period where they could uh, really get some sort of advantage by to you know pushing on at that time so the psychology the mindset the preparation all of those things were very influential to me and uh you know as as a uh, eventual teacher you know the idea of keep learning is it's just part of what i do um and you know keep listening to other people keep finding new ways and uh, i think that uh, you know that was embedded by you know what dad was doing early days and I suppose the other thing that goes with that, that's not the technical stuff, but it's um, the caring stuff. You know, we used to have team meetings at our family house where 22 would come yeah. over or 20 and mum would make you know, soup and then uh, steak and then uh, uh, fruit salad. And we, we'd be, uh, you know, the, uh, the servants handing out all the stuff to all the players and she'd do that week after week and dad would be putting on a team meeting at our house. You know, these are unheard of things that, it was all about the care. It was all about the, you know, uh, making sure that the players knew that uh, he he really um, wanted to get the group close together. And uh, you know, by doing all these things, they would uh, they would commit more to themselves and uh, you know to the team. Yeah, just brilliant. Considering it was the 70s that uh, that all that was happening, and and you obviously you went on to play uh, successfully and. Um, and captained uh, Collingwood at a, at a young age. Obviously, that's a, arguably the biggest club in the country. Uh, what were the things that you um, you felt like they saw in you, um, and don't be shy, to, to pick you as captain at such a young age? Uh, well, you know, I'd come from Adelaide, and it was quite quite, uh, you know, daunting to come to Victoria. I remember, you know, demanding and getting a, a guaranteeing contract because I, I wasn't sure whether I was going to make the team or not. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the way that I'd trained, uh, you know, my parents never drank or smoked and I didn't either. And I, I trained really hard. So I was probably ahead of my time in regard to professionalism in footy. You know, I'd go to bed on Friday nights. We'd always play Saturday. Friday nights at uh, 8.30, I'd be asleep. Uh, you know, Dad would talk about hours before midnight or worth two after midnight type stuff. And, you know, I'd get up early. I'd go for a walk in the morning. I'd, you know, be watching the breeze, trying to work out which way the, you know, uh, the advantage might be, um, uh, some flexibility stuff uh, and, and get to the game really early. And then, and then part of the thing I was doing is I'd, I'd watch the twos. I'd go down at half time. I'd talk to the twos, you know, the young guys, uh, give them some advice and what I saw in their game. And I suppose all of those things just added together to say this guy's, uh, uh, you know, pretty uh, committed. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd made the All-Australian side uh, for South Australia the year before I came. And, and uh, you know, I was 
obviously a, a pretty good player. Won the best and fairest the first year over there. Uh, played for Victoria in a state match uh, against Western Australia in my first four games. So, you know, all, all of those things indicated that I was obviously a, a, quite a quality player that uh, – and I suppose the other thing that I have that uh, not many people have, and you you notice that over the years, I, I speak really loudly. I demand from people. I not only run hard, but I demand other people to do the same thing. And I'm quite driven in trying to get to a particular uh, endpoint in success. So uh, all of those things. And uh, I, I suppose also I'm a qualified teacher. So I, I have an, uh, a degree and, and experience in, uh, you know, trying to uh, mentor kids, uh, mentor people, try and get them to be the best they can, whether they are, you know, the worst kid in the in the group or the best kid in the group. How can I make them better? So, uh, you know, trying to understand what turns people on to, uh, to be able to reach their potential. All of those things probably are uh, aspects of it. But I'd love to get your thoughts on that because you, you're comfortably one of the most driven people I've ever met, let alone coaches, and I can only imagine as a player. Do you think that can um, – do you think you can instill that in people? And and if so, because most of our audience, Chocker, are, are um, uh, like me and Brookie, you know, in, in uh, physios, doctors, high-performance, fitness, that sort of area uh, around the planet. And that's one of the things that we we talk about, and there's research papers on, and you know, there's there's a whole bunch of data on. Um, do you think you can instill that drive and resilience in players, or are they born with it? Uh, and if you can instill it, how have you managed to successfully do it? Because you've held development coaching positions where that's one of the tasks. Mm. Um, you you were clearly born with it, or or your dad had a big influence in that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's um, it's a long long question, but uh, first of all, I'd say um, my sister's got a master's in psychology, so she and I spend hours and hours and hours discussing all this stuff. And you know, she talks about outliers and Malcolm Gladwell, and we talk and go through. You know, there are outliers in regard to not everyone's the same. <clears throat> there are people up the end of the. Uh, you know the curve that uh, you know are driven are are looking for that extra bit, and uh, then there's the average people. And so I, I talked to uh, <clears throat> you know for three or four years in Adelaide, I worked for Sports Medicine Australia. So I had an interesting position there where I'd um, you know mentor and help uh, uh, lecture the, the the sports trainers to become sports trainers. Uh, but at the same time, I'd work with physios, doctors, and orthopods, and you know. Um, um, podiatrists and whoever to uh, to actually learn how that they might be able to present to the groups because most of your people listening they only work one on one with people and I have to teach them how they can be comfortable how they can present how they can um, uh, understand the, the learning patterns of different people and give them extra skills that make them confident confident and uh, and and uh, comfortable in front of groups so that they can succeed. And I think that, you know, most people won't get to the, you know, the, the nth degree that where I might be. And, you know, people might say that's too far anyway, but um, you can certainly move people along that um, continuum in, in regard to drive. 
And you, you need to give them confidence. You need to uh, show them the way. And that's what I do in development. You know, I, I, I refuse to believe that people are where they are, you know, in all aspects, uh, whether it's strength training, whether it's running, whether it's skills, whether it's psychology, whether it's leadership uh, or whether it's drive, uh, you know, you can move them along. And, uh, you know, that, that's what I intend to do. And that's what I, I feel like I've been pretty successful at doing. So, sure, mate, uh, um so, sorry, if I could just j- jump in, I mean, d- did you always think you'd coach? I mean, obviously, in retrospect, you know, it's clear that, you know, you were, you know, Foss Williams' son, you know, you've been an elite player. But, I mean, uh, you know, were you, when you were playing, were you sort of thinking about the future and, and coaching? Um, and did you have any, you know, when you went into it, did you have any doubts or did you know right all the way along that, yeah, I know I'm going to be a good coach? Yeah, uh, no, I, I, as much as anyone, you know, I, I doubt myself in regard to am I prepared, what do I know, but it must have been because I can remember the first night at Collingwood when I trained, Tommy Hafe, a famous coach, he took us for training, we ran down the Yarra, you know, Yarra Falls Way and up, up and down those big bloody hills uh, that you might have seen on the club if you've ever seen the start of that movie. And <laughs> it was quite remarkable. You know, it was about 38 degrees. I had no idea where, where we were going. I just stuck with Ronnie Weirmouth at the front and then, you know, powered on at the end. But had, uh, you know, and then we we got there and I thought, oh, well, that wasn't a bad run. That's probably it. And then we trained for about two and a half hours afterwards. And <laughs> it was bloody amazing. But every one of those sessions and I can, I can show you now I've got all those sessions written down I've got every session that I ever coach written down because I'm about preparation I'm about gee that went well or no 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 I've got to change that and uh, you know Burjo would know how pedantic I am at getting the cones in the right spot uh, <laughs> uh, because if I can make it easy for players then they'll they'll be successful and the success breeds success you just move from one thing to another keep challenging the players keep changing the stimulus and you you get some absolutely brilliant results and, that, and you know you talk about drive that would be the same thing so you have to keep changing the way that you get people to have that drive um, and uh, keep keep uh, challenging them, but keep rewarding them and recognising, oh, there it is. Yeah, I saw that. Fantastic. Well done. And uh, the, the amount of that stuff um, comes through and they build their confidence. Chuck, um, uh, I want to uh, just highlight a point on that and and uh, get your take. It's a slightly different tangent um, on your ability to develop people and staff and in particular um, you know, the high performance staff and, and you're very challenging in that area. But, and just to, as an example, I'll never forget this. I've told this story many times. Uh, I was interviewing for you. It was two weeks after the, for a job with you, two weeks after the 2004 grand final, which Port Adelaide famously won, which we'll talk about in a moment. And, uh, I had a suit and tie on and a PowerPoint presentation. This is 2004. I'm flying down from Sydney and you walked into the Port Adelaide boardroom with uh, huts, I think it was, and uh, you um, put your feet up on the desk and said, take the tie off to me. I'd never met you. Never knew, I wasn't a big footy person because I was from Sydney. So take your tie off, take your jacket off. And I said, okay. And you said, you're not opening that computer. And I said, okay, <laughs> no worries. And then you said, uh, uh, we are currently the best team in the world. 
how can you help us? <laughs> and that was the first question. And and we're away. And after about two hours, I had to go back to the airport. And uh, I'll never forget it. I was quite emotional at the time. Uh, you ran down uh, to meet me in the taxi out the front of Alberton and slipped an envelope in, in, in through the window and said, take this back with you. And it was a contract offer. Um, so that was, that was a massive moment in my career, but I'll never forget that, uh, that interview process. How do you go about, um, firstly, identifying, uh, the right people to work for and with you? And secondly, developing them because it, it is, it is challenging. It is demanding. Um, but it's all with the right purpose in mind. Yeah, well, um, how was your how was your um, your career after that? By the way, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you could argue, you, you could argue. Get ten percent of everything you've earned since then. Many many would argue uh, otherwise, but yeah, no, it was okay. It's been okay. Yeah, okay. Still want yeah. to come hopefully. I, I think it was okay too, and. Uh, uh, showed I was a pretty good judge. Now, <clears throat> you asked me a lot of questions here again. Um, so I can't believe that I put my feet on the desk because that's so disrespectful. <laughs> and if you said I did, geez, I want to apologise because honestly, that, that that comes across as real arrogance. And I, I, I honestly don't feel like I am that way. But I, uh, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, asking you to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> take your tie off and uh, I, I wanted you to be at ease. I, I, I certainly don't want uh, to think that a, uh, uh, you know, head of a high performance needs to have a tie on to uh, impress me. Uh, it, it's about your pr approach. Um, we did have Andrew Russell beforehand. I thought he was an outstanding um, uh, yep. head of high performance. <clears throat> so it was like, gee, this is going to be hard to um, uh, replace. Um, I want to see someone that's similar. Uh, I want to, and the, the number one thing that I think that you have to have, you have to have credibility in your, in your, um, in your knowledge, uh, but you have to be able to sell yourself to the players. You have to be believable to the players. You have to be a person that they will listen to. And if you, if you say walk here and stand on these hot coals because it's good for them, they will do it. And that that's the, that's the thing. And you need to be able to justify why you're doing it. And uh, I, I suspect that in the in the discussions with you, all, all of those things came across. Now, <clears throat> I will then ask you everything that I can think of. And remembering I'm a phys ed teacher, so I have some knowledge in regard to sports science. And certainly, uh, having worked at um, Sportsmen Australia and learning for from you know great people like you know um, uh, Peter Barnes, uh, Olympic doctor, or uh, Mark Fisher, or you know <clears throat> we had some Patrick Custins, we had some wonderful people. Uh, and as you know, I, I would go in and find out what's the matter with this player. Tell me about this. And uh, I, I am a sponge when it comes to learning. And uh, someone's put an epidural in that before. Do you think that might be a good idea? Uh, you know, so for, to have that knowledge to be able to ask you, uh, you know, it might be a hamstring injury. Tell me what you'd do there. Uh, how long would it be? What would you say to the player? Would you tell him it's going to be six weeks or would you tell him it's going to be two? You know, all, all of those positive things that might get people back on the track quicker. You know, I, I want to hear 
you know, what's your opinion on that stuff? So um, uh, I'm keen to see that. I'm keen to see uh, how happy you are, how organised you are. And then you started reeling out, your, you know, your stuff on GPS and, uh, uh, you know, your uh, your Masters and the TAC Cup and all that stuff, I recall. And, you know, that, that, that was enough to tick the box to say, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, his his personality is going to work in with me. Um, he's he's laughing at some of my jokes, which is pretty bloody special. <laughs> for, you know, again, as we know, it's a bloody long time. It's a long season. <clears throat> if you can't have some fun, uh, I want to know what variations you're going to do. I want to know what, you know, what venues we're going to use. I don't want to do the same thing. Having been in football for so long, having experienced my dad doing different things, I want to entertain and I want to um, <clears throat> show variety to the players. So they come to training and not exactly sure what they're going to do. Tell me about your warm-ups. Tell me um, what variety can we do. You know, all of these things are so important to me. And, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, some of the things I'd be looking for. Yeah, that, that's, I'll ask one more. And then it's all you, Brookie. Um, I, I think that's the thing for me that stood out. It's not not, and it's got no, absolutely nothing to do with me. But it's you, your process um, in uh, dealing with coaches, with fitness coaches, with performance people, whatever whatever you want to call ourselves, is you didn't ask. Uh, um, what, how long would you take to rehab a hamstring or anything like that? You, you said. What will you tell the players in that? How will you handle if I come up to you at halftime and say that bloke needs to play even though he needs to jab in his ankle? Or how it's those scenario based and that storytelling, if you like, that um, is come a bit on in vogue at the moment in the in the fitness world. Everyone's talking about storytelling. That was that was you sort of twenty years ago. Um, so that that's the part that I think um, made it so unique at the time was not. Don't give me your science. Give me the practical scenarios because the science doesn't always belong here. <clears throat> and I think that was a that was a real key impo- component. Yeah, I think it has to be both. Uh, you know, some science, but at the same time, let's let's find another way. Um, let's not be satisfied with uh, someone that says no. Uh, that guy's got, um, you know, some. Um, it might be a back injury. It might be OP. It might be. Let, let's find uh, three different ways. What What are they saying overseas? What are, I want you to be adventurous. I want you to be uh, inquisitive, um, because that sets a scene for everyone in the whole uh, underneath you as far as management. You know, whether it's weight training, whether it's dietitians, whether it's podiatry, whether I, I don't care. They need to be uh, led by. The, a person at the top and if the coach and the uh, head of fitness are thinking that way it uh, you know disseminates all the way through the group Choco, i want to uh, take you back to uh, to to port adelaide and coaching port adelaide um and uh the particular scenario and i'm sure many of our listeners would know but uh in uh, i mean what was it 2002 and 2003 uh port adelaide uh, finished top of the ladder and um, but failed to win the premiership. Um, 
And then um, there was a lot of talk about uh, the choking word, the C word, uh, choking. And uh, there were some comments made. I think one of the uh, the sponsors uh, suggested that maybe you weren't the right person uh, for the job. So there was a fair bit of pressure on uh, on you. And then 2004 came along, and yet again, Port Adelaide finished top of the ladder and were, you know, ostensibly the favourite for for the premiership. And coming into those finals. Um, I mean, there was a lot of pressure on you as a, as a coach and, and maybe it was your last chance, who knows. But, uh, you know, the, the word uh, you'd been labelled or the team had been labelled as chokers. Um, how did that sort of uh, affect you and, uh, and the group and, and how did you sort of use that to, uh, to, to, you know, get the best out of the group? Uh, yeah, you know... Uh... Uh, you know, it's, it's it's hard to walk back exactly where you were, but you know, uh, circumstances people couldn't care less. You know, and uh, you know, we had someone break their jaw. I think round 22, we had someone. Uh, you know, our fullback. Uh, we had our centre half back who was all Australian standard. Uh, do do his knee uh, one year in probably the last game of the year or something, and all of these things. You know, can change the you know the sliding door moments. Um, we had a, a player run into an open goal and hit the post and lose by a few points, and then, and then you had to play an interstate game instead of a home final. And all these stupid occurrences hurt happened. Looking back now, my sister does give me some sort of um, uh, understanding of you know luck plays an important part in sport and in, in life, and you you need to be able to. Uh, allow your mind to say, yeah, there's probably luck involved there and not get too down on yourself. And uh, that implies, you know, uh, applies for individual players um, uh, as well as teams. So uh, to try and get them back to their performance and to their highest highest performance, I think uh, if you introduce and uh, understand the, the role of luck, in it it's important but at the same time you know not to dismiss the opposition not to dismiss the um, the preparation uh, you know we found out that a couple of players probably hadn't done the right thing and all of these little things all add up you know we we talked about where we were uh, selling selling the kind of uh, the mental imagery of climbing the you know uh, Mount Everest where you know we're at base camp or we're we're you know up up high and we need to just do the last bit now but to be able to sell all that and you know at all clubs and you know I want to give a, a shout out to all the the video men and the the uh, you know the the stats people and all the the other coaches behind the scenes that do such a wonderful job to get us there um, ca- can we then keep them can we keep their 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 mindset and the group together still believing and you know as much as as much as anything for me, it was all about the um, the mindset um, and the belief. Um, can we keep selling it? Can we keep changing it a little bit? Can we get new players in? Uh, can we cover the areas where we, we find that there was deficiencies? Can we prove to the players? So we'd roll out the idea that uh, have a look at this uh, pre-season. We've done 20% more. We're 10% more, uh, uh, you know, uh, better prepared or whatever it is. And add all those things together and still at the 27 and a half minute mark of the last quarter of the preliminary final, the ball comes over the back of the pack. We're one goal up and it rolls into the opposition goal square 
and uh, Brett Guerrero goes to soccer. Sean Burgoyne dives full length to knock the ball out of bounds, and uh, we win by a goal. At that stage, my wife in the grandstand, who has suffered the indignity of walking along the, uh, you know, the, the roads, and my kids just getting hammered about being chokers, she faints. And she doesn't actually see what happens at the end of the game. That's how much it was affecting my family without me really knowing. So, um, you know, luck does come into it. You know, at halftime of that particular game, Gavin Wanganeen, one of the greatest players that I've ever coached, uh, played 300 first Aboriginal to do it, who I played with at 17 when he was, sorry, when he was 17 at my end of my career at Port Magpies, and never, ever had a harsh word to say to him. I hopped into him uh, because he hadn't touched the ball. And, you know, we weren't going to go down again. He kicks the last two goals of that game and, and then, you know, uh, the next week kicks four goals in the grand final. Uh, we're best friends even now. I'm coaching his son right as we speak, uh, trying to get him drafted. And uh, it's amazing, you know, so selling the story, a bit of luck and uh, and just, you know, uh, the um, getting getting the, uh, the cricket bat out to, to Gavin uh, one time, one time, not every week, but one time, and all of those things added up to get us to that particular day. Even at halftime in the grand final, we're down by a point. I'm walking down. People are calling us chokers. Uh, I'm... I, you know, famously, I, I know, you know, some of the things I talked about at halftime. And one of them, we look a bit, you know, I, I talked about players wearing, you know, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the the King of the Mountain polka dot shirt. Stand out, boys. I want your halfbacks. I want you to take on the game. Uh, put on your, your polka dots and away you go type thing. And that imagery of the players, some of the stuff. And, uh, and Matthew Bishop, I, I recall taking the players on and bouncing around the boundary line and ends up in a goal. And, uh, you know, Toby Thurston kicks the goal just before halftime and, and the first goal just after halftime to put us in front. You know, uh, the most maligned player that has ever played um, and, and the influence he had in the biggest game, you know, shouldn't be underestimated. So all these things add together. And uh, what's the recipe? Well, it's a bit of everything. And famously, uh, after the game, you uh, you're uh, the subject of, of uh, well, certainly one of the one of my favourite uh, sporting photographs and one of Australia's greatest sporting photographs of you uh, of you pulling your tie uh, out and uh, sort of pretending to be choking, I guess. And uh, I mean, what what made you do that? Or what, tell us about uh, about that. And is that something you are proud of, or that you regret, or uh, what? It's, it's such an iconic photograph, and uh, that so many people, you know, identify you with that uh, that photo. Um, give us a story yeah. of that. You know, it's interesting, and uh, e- even listening now, I'm 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 sure that the uh, listeners have turned their radio down a couple of times because I talk loud. I can talk quietly, but I, I understand that I am an excitable boy. I kind of kept that little boy inside me the whole time, and it's still there. And I don't, I don't know, look. I, I am a proud person, uh, obviously from a proud family, and uh, to, to be able to deliver that on that day was as much as uh, for my family as as to anyone. Uh, you know, c- could could we actually do it? Could we deliver it uh, after getting that criticism for so long? There was no preparation in it. Anyone knows me, I'm pretty, um, you know, uh, you know, 
do things on the on the whim and uh, it just happened it just happened i have no idea how it happened um interestingly um uh, am i proud of it uh it, it's me so that's that's me um the um up on the up on the dais afterwards, uh, saying that Alan Scott was wrong. You know, um, it probably doesn't help me get a uh, uh, you know senior coaching job ever again. But um, it was truthful that uh, he was wrong. We did win with me as coach, and uh, he he said it publicly that went nationally, and it put a hell of a lot of pressure on me. So uh, again, that just came out when I was talking to sponsors, and then I thought, bang, that just happened. <laughs> so uh, there was nothing nothing was really prepared there, but. Um, um, being Melbourne Cup just recently, I, I tell a story about the um, about the tyre because uh, the club, in their wisdom, thought that uh, this would be a good idea to auction this tyre. So uh, after the game, it was like, oh, yeah, who cares? I, I don't really care. Yep, good idea. So we're, we went to the celebrations. There was a whole lot of people there, some uh, dignitaries, and I'm sitting next to this guy that uh, he's putting up his hand for, uh, for the tyre and someone else is bidding against him. And it ended up uh, it ended up to be Tony Santic, who uh, owned McIvy Diva, that won three Melbourne Cups. He's sitting next to me, and uh, he's uh, he's got the tie. Have a guess how much he paid. <laughs> oh, God knows. Um... Thirty eight thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and uh... I got nothing. <laughs> oh, it was a great good, story. It was a great by the marketing department, and well done to them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a great story. Um, how do you get on with Alan Scott? Uh, unfortunately, Alan passed away. I, we, we, I think Virgo was probably there, but we, the the, uh, the pre-season camp we held in uh, Mount Gambier that, that immediately after the grand final, and um, so I went down there and I saw him. And unfortunately for him, he was in hospital at the time, so I took the cup in there and you know uh, gloated a little. Uh, we agreed to disagree. He wasn't all that. I, I, really, he was a terrific sponsor in regard to money. He, he never came around the club, so I probably only met him twice for the whole time that uh, he was a sponsor. But um, uh, in, in the end, he caused me and uh, certainly my family a lot of uh, grief. So um, I was uh, just, you know, taking it to him to say, there it is, mate. And, uh, you know, he signed a ball. We we, uh, we auctioned that off and got some good money for that as well and, uh, uh, again, shook hands and moved on. Right. Chuck, I'd love to compare that to uh, 2007 grand final. Um, yeah. While we're, we're celebrating the 2004, 2007 is uh, one that we, you and I remember quite well. Um, uh, it's the biggest loss in grand final history. Um, how talk, talk us through how you recovered from that, and uh, not necessarily what happened on the day or anything like that, because you know Geelong were were the best team all season and and proved to be so. But how did you handle uh, that from such a proud person and proud club, uh, even though, you know, we, you and I can talk about how nobody rated us and nobody expected us to be there, but it was obviously a devastating moment. So how did you, how did you handle that personally and, and from a club point of view? Well, flippantly, I can say that the best part about it is we're in the Guinness Book of Records for the biggest loss of uh, AFL. So, uh, but uh, yeah, no, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't easy, you know, trying to um, uh, give Geelong, you know, their first premiership for so long, their, their due uh, credit because they were 
they were great on the day. They were great that year, and then they proved to be such a, uh, a dominant force for years to come. Um, so, uh, you know, certainly um, pr praising them. But um, for us, it, it was certainly a, a very uh, low period. You know, our um, still Boke and, uh, and Robbie Gray are, are still playing at Port now. So, you know, we had a, a young side there trying to trying to um, uh, analyse it all, trying to work out, you know, what's the best way to move on. You know, there's no blueprint for it. And, uh, yeah, you know, to, the, to this day, it is a, uh, it is a, uh, a, tough, a tough thing to, to, you know, review work out, you know, what we could have done, you know, uh, for, for myself, uh, you know, what could I have said differently? You know, I tried to do um, some innovative things in regard to giving players, um, you know, video before the game of all their uh, their family uh, saying best wishes. So, some of it actually uh, backfired and, and made them over the top emotionally. And, you know, so maybe I caused that and then, um, you know, at, you know, should I have should I have flooded uh, for a long period of time to try and get momentum back in the game? You know, all all of those things. I, I you know, I, I question myself about it uh, often, and still there's no answers because, um, you know, even the greatest uh, technicians, the greatest, uh, uh, you know commentators will come up with a plausible suggestion, but they don't know that what they said would have made it even worse, you know, and uh, uh, just the other day I was watching, um, you know, Nicky Butt and uh, uh, Jamie, you know, who was it? Um, uh, uh, off the sport, who was it? Um, anyway, they were, they were reviewing the, um, they were reviewing the Man U Liverpool game and, what Ollie should have done and should have said and how he should have set it up and what players. And again, listening to it all, it all made sense and it all made, oh yeah, that would have made the difference, but you really don't know. And uh, that's all commentators can do is provide a, an alternative. But uh, the truth of the matter is no one knows uh, if what they said was going to work any better. So after uh, after Port Adelaide, uh, Choco. I mean, uh, here you are. You you know you'd been there for you know a dozen dozen years. Uh, your time was up, and you're a premiership winning coach. Um, and yet you've never coached a se at senior level at AFL since then, um, which to me has always been amazing that no club has uh, has picked you up. Um, why do you think that is? And, and and is that a frustration for you that you haven't had that opportunity to? to coach at senior level again? Yeah. Well, having won a premiership, I think I'm probably the only one that's won a premiership and hasn't coached again uh, if, you know, if they wanted to. Uh, so it, it is a frustration, but uh, uh, you, you know, you and Darren probably have more insight in it uh, than me. I'm politically uh, not that smart in regard to, uh, you know, boards and things. I, I am open with my opinion. Someone asked me and I, I say, this is what I think. Uh, rather than think, you know, which way the, the tide is flowing and, you know, whose side I should be jumping on. So, uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that has shot me in the foot. But um, uh, I, I am proud of the fact that the, um, the sides that I've gone to, each and every one of them has really developed. Their young players have developed to the highest degree and, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
GWS, you know, they got to a grand final with, you know, lots and lots of the players that I uh, helped develop and, and then Richmond won three out of four years and uh, obviously Melbourne have won. So uh, I feel like I've had uh, a, a great deal of influence around the development of the players, which uh, uh, when it comes to what's my best thing, uh, I love the coaching. I love the, the teaching. I love the school development. I love the, uh, the connection with the players. And I get great joy out of whether it's Dustin Martin becoming what he has become, uh, having spent you know, every Thursday at my place for uh, four years. Um, and, you know, the man he's become off the field and the in- independence he has and the and the financial independence now, all, all of those things. But uh, then Dan Butler and Jason Castagna and, you know, Jaden Short and the guys that, you know, right now, you know, we're talking, um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the young guys that... Um, Melbourne, I think we had uh, six of the, you know, the first to third year players. We had eight under 21s playing in the and winning in the grand final. So all of those, all of those guys, you know, it's it gives me great joy and happiness to uh, to see them uh, go through and and just like my dad, you know, the respect. Uh, you know, I saw Matty Lloyd the other day, who I coached when he was 16 and 17 at at Essendon. Um, they they come up to me with great you know, stories and, and, and fun and uh, and the care that I showed them back then has lasted uh, our relationships for, for years and years to come, just like when uh, old players used to knock on the door and come and see my dad. And being an assistant coach after, you know, after you've, you've you know, run the show as the head coach, um, how, how have you managed to, to you know, must have hurt your pride a little bit or frustrated you a bit that you couldn't have complete control of uh, of teams. And yet, you know, you've obviously enjoyed it and been very successful at that assistance or that development role. Mm. Um, at GWS, I thought I was going to be the um, the senior coach and that's, that was the only reason I went up there. She, she was going to um, do the marketing and uh, membership drive and, you know, uh, and Sheeds and I got on terrifically well. So I felt like I was... Um, uh, done it a bit in that regard, and that's that's kind of the end of that story. But um, uh, when I got to uh, Richmond, you know, with Dimmer and uh, Blair Hartley and uh, people that I'd I'd uh, been with at Port Adelaide, you know, it, it was terrific that they gave me that opportunity, um, and you know, that they, they gave me uh, a, a particular job to do, which. I will do, you know, I will deliver on the jobs that people give me. And, you know, uh, let's talk Simon Goodwin and uh, Alan, Alan Richardson, uh, you know, to, to get that job. And I know Burjo had something to do with it. So as much as I gave him a start, he gave me uh, the opportunity, Burjo, to, uh, you know, suggest my name and push me up to, uh, uh, to the Melbourne people and give them enough confidence that well, I wasn't going to try and take over the show. And I, I don't think I know everything, but I will give you an opinion and that's okay. And I, I can't speak more highly of uh, Simon and and Alan in regard to, um, you know, Simon could have been out the door in a month at the start of the year, you know, uh, all, all of those things were so, so much pressure on him and to have enough confidence in his coaching ability and his belief in himself to bring a an experienced, uh, you know, premiership coach into the group. But, it would only work if he allowed me to do what I do. And, you know, Mark, you're in charge of kicking, you're in charge of the tackling. 
Uh, you're in charge of the first to third year players, try and develop all the players. Uh, and basically, you know, apart from Burjo telling me that, that that's three minutes instead of two minutes I've done <laughs> on a particular exercise. Um, honestly, that it was such joy doing it because I could, you know, do the things that I could do and they trusted me and, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, I delivered on what they, they, the outcome they were looking for. And, you know, so together, you know, we formed a, a fantastic group and I, I'm so proud of what Simon's done. Last one from me, Choco. You, you mentioned kicking then. Now, you know, I, I think most Melbourne supporters would say that until this year they were not a good kicking team. Um, and then also people would say, well, you can't teach senior players how to kick. If they haven't learned how to kick by the time they, uh, they reach AFL level, they'll, they'll never learn. But uh, I think you showed that's not true. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, you don't bring people from uh, shocking kicks to elite kicks in uh, in one season, but you certainly can improve people. But you have to teach them what they don't know. You have to teach them why things happen, what happened to their kick. And, you know, it's almost constant. Every kick, oh, that's what happened. Every kick, keep, keep teaching them keep showing them a particular uh, a method um, for those that have seen online. But um, Melbourne, you know, pretty well, well, all, all the kicking that I do, we use the ball that I invented, the Sharon Precision, which is a bit of an ad for it. But it, it does give uh, immediate feedback to people so that they can uh, self-adjust. Uh, did, did the ball, and it has a spin line down the middle of it, did it, did it actually stand up straight? And, you know, anyone out there that's got kids, anyone that wants to learn how to kick um, online, uh, you know, I, I've done 15 little videos for anyone out there because being a teacher and a father, having coached little kids for 14 years while I was coaching AFL, um, you know, I know that the fathers and the other coaches and other teachers don't really know how to teach people how to kick. So just watch the videos, uh, learn from it. Uh, some kids don't drop it well. Some don't have a hand on the ball well. Some don't finish their their kickoff by running towards the target. But there's only about six things that they have to know, and I'm very consistent in keeping the same six the whole time. And uh, yeah, I'm very proud. I'm very uh, happy that players got confidence in it. Uh, I'm happy that players kept going back to it. But we were so consistent with it, and uh, the time that was allocated by Burjo and by you know Simon at the Every training session made it work. If you do it once a month, if you do it once a week, it won't work and there's no chance it'll work and don't think it's going to work because that's just not good science or not good teaching. And so um, uh, being able to show them how it works, um, being able to uh, have some fantastic video to uh, analyse and, uh, you know, working in, in conjunction with all the other coaches, and, and having them believe in what you're doing as well and not contradicting and not working against all those things uh, then lead to uh, your best chance of success to uh, develop either young players or experienced players who are willing to learn. If they're not willing to learn, there's no chance it's going to work. Certainly the, the thought, the care, the attention to detail that would go into at times a three-minute drill uh, and the relationship to the game was just extraordinary. And, and unlike anything I'd seen before, um, uh, it, it was just incredible um, to watch and to be, you know, just to be on the sideline watching Chock go to work with that. Um, 
which which brings me to the times when you weren't weren't in the AFL system and and we're we're almost done here. But I'd love you to talk about um, the difference between coaching amateurs and um, and and coaching professionals. Uh, uh, Ange Postacoglu, famous Australian coach, doing great things at Celtic now, famously went and just coached local football when he was in between jobs and you you more or less did the same by coaching at, at younger levels and also in your spare time you you run a um a uh, leadership program for corporations called champion teams um it seems like for most people having spent the years in the system that you did you might need a spell but you just went straight into coaching at a at a slightly lower level can you talk about maybe something that you learned <clears throat> excuse me from coaching amateurs and at lower levels uh, that, that you've since applied uh, in your time at, at the D's? Uh, yeah. Look, I, I do have this, as I said, that little boy inside. I, I'm a passionate teacher. I'm a person where whether I'm you know, going to be 80 or 90, I'll be still trying to uh, uh, teach and uh, mentor and help. I, I get great joy. Uh, you know, you talked about champion teams, um, my um, – leadership stuff that I do with corporations and, uh, and, and other groups, uh, I get so much joy out of uh, a session with them. It's like winning a game that, you know, I've left them with some ideas. I've, I've left them with, because uh, as a, as a teacher, I'm, uh, I'm about finding the problems and then here's the solution, but the solution won't get there unless you care. And so uh, at, at Ajax, uh, which is an all Jewish place, you know, to to uh, you had to be uh, uh, from Jewish origins to play, uh, not to coach. But uh, uh, it, it was wonderful to get the opportunity to go inside that sort of community, learn a lot, uh, listen a lot. Uh, but at the same time, I have great expectations and you know I, I talked to them about how we had to be all in and, and how they had to dedicate and their community is so important to them but they have to be um, you know they have to be respected and how they're going to get the respect is by uh, dedication to what they were saying if you if you if you're saying you're going to turn up you're going to turn up if you got if you if you want to improve well you need to spend the time and uh, you know the, the, the same stories when I went to Werribee you know, we, we uh, you know, I, I ran the leadership program there as well as the football program. And, you know, to get all the, the board and the management all on side, and then, you know, we had nothing on the walls. And then we finished up with wonderful, uh, wonderful things on the walls that celebrated the past players, that celebrated the song, that celebrated, uh, you know, what, where we fitted in the community. And it just made it feel like this is a real club and we really do care for each other. And that putting care on the wall is so important and it works in every organisation, but it doesn't work by just writing names. You have to actually see things. And the, the thing that I would give, the, the number one thing that I would suggest to anyone out there listening, uh, what I do is I take photos and I take videos and I try and catch people doing what they do. You know, Burjo, you've presented on bloody heart rates or something and I'm sitting at the back and I'm... I'm videoing you and I'm sending it to you afterwards and you're coming back with, yeah, maybe I could do that better or thanks or, and it, 
it is about me caring. It's about you looking and reviewing yourself. It's it's about what you're giving to our club and how it's building uh, knowledge and uh, understanding and at the same time trust. And once they trust you, they'll do everything for you. But you can't start by just telling them what to do. You need to build the trust first. That's certainly true. I reckon I've received 15 or so videos from you in this last 12 months and, and every one of them makes you look at it and go, ah, I shouldn't have said that there. Or I should have, you know, I don't, you were getting nothing out of it other than seeing me develop my skills and my craft. So, yeah, it was certainly, um, yeah, certainly a, a refreshing addition. And, and yeah, you have to think me... of this, Some people I'll send that to and they get, anxious some people get it and think oh i'm having a go at them so that that's the reasons where i get interpreted and i go well no 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 i'm actually doing this for your development or i'm doing this to show that i care that i'm uh, i'm interested in you and i'm saying mate that was bloody fantastic what you did there to the group you know the amount of times i send it to uh to uh, you know, goody, uh, and then with a little uh, mate, that's that's brilliant. Or uh, I haven't ever heard better. Or and it just builds the confidence, but it builds our trust in each other and our uh, you know. And he'll he'll let me do what kicking I want to do uh, based on the fact that you know he he trusts me because I believe in him. Oh, that's brilliant, mate. Um, well, we're going to have to wrap it up now. We could certainly have you on again and, and we might do that in the next series, mate, but we really, really appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully the people uh, listening, particularly those overseas, uh, can just, just hear the passion in your voice, mate. We absolutely love it. And uh, I'm going to be... I forget where we, where we started here, Pete. I recall getting an invitation to come to the mighty Liverpool uh, <laughs> <laughs> to actually sit in the grandstands to watch the Man U Liverpool game, sing the song with my son, uh, get invited by Pete to uh, the uh, the Cavern Club to listen to the Beatles play. I know they're not the originals, but uh, bloody hell. Uh, so I appreciate everything you guys have done for me. To to watch Liverpool for all my life and then get the opportunity to go and spend time at Melwood and then with you, Burjo, to go to the San Siro and see, you know, uh, the... Uh, yeah. the I'll be there, and you know, and then and then to go to Bayern Munich, and you know, I, these these are the the joys of my life. So uh, uh, for you guys, I, I really, you know, as much as I'm helping you, uh, what what we've done together has been is, has been a joy for me, and uh, I've followed your career and very very uh, very proud of what both of you have done. Uh, thanks, Chuck. Uh, appreciate it, Chuck. You've had a massive influence on on my career, and. And, uh, yeah, and we'll continue to do so. So I really appreciate it. Now, I, I remember when you were working for Sports Medicine South Australia, uh, Chucko, you picked me up from the airport one time with uh, my wife and we had a little baby and we were, I was giving a talk at some conference or something and, uh, yeah, you just went the extra yard and, and looked after us. And uh, I remember uh, 12 months ago when it was announced that uh, that you were coming to, to Melbourne and I was, I was going to be involved, I, I sent a uh, text message to Gary Pert, the CEO. I've still got it on my phone. I said, uh, Purdy, that'll be the best appointment you've ever made, and uh, I think uh, I might have been proven pretty much uh, pretty much right. So uh, it's not just coincidence that uh, that uh, you two guys um, and obviously and many others, but played a significant role in in Melbourne's premiership, and should always be uh, be proud of that. So Choco, once again, thanks for uh, thanks for your time. It's been fantastic. We could talk for hours, and uh, Birdo's right. We'll get you back on uh, next time, and uh, keep up the good work. Good work. Thanks. See ya. 
Tschüss.